0: Esther chapter 2, starting with verse 1. We're going to go to verse 18. Esther made queen. Later when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let, it, let a search be made for a beautiful young, young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shishmai, Shib, Shishmai, and the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah, Mordecai had a cousin named Adassa, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women had brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to, uh, into, to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months of oil of mirth, and six, of, six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace in the evening she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to take care of of the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines she would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name When when the turn came for Esther the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of of his uncle Abihel to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's unit, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, in the month of Tibet, and in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to uh, Esther more than any other woman. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. But let's say our scripture decoration. "Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our lives' practice. Thank you.
1: Amen. <clears throat> well, thank you, Peter. Um, so a couple funny things going on today. I don't know if you guys noticed it or not, but uh, I don't know what camera angle was going on. Was it that one? Okay, so if, you're, if you weren't paying attention you were here, you probably didn't r- really get it. But if you were at home, you probably saw Jesus back there banging and playing on the drums. I love to watch that guy play, not only hear him play, but watch him play. But I thought I saw this movement out of the corner of my eye. And what had happened was he was sitting on a stool. And as he was sitting on a stool, it like dropped on him. So he was like playing and then boom like this, you know? And I looked and I was like, hey, Seuss looks shorter to me all of a sudden. So so he looked at me, he was like, Did you see that? I said, I thought I saw that. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. See the things you're missing if you're not here is so funny. And I gotta say, Peter, thank you so much, man, for reading the scriptures. Ain't even cool what I did to you. I mean, I was like, here, just read this scripture, and then there's like 30 names in there that I couldn't pronounce, so I thought, I better give this to Peter. Uh, So anyway, (laughs) but thank you so much, and it's great to see you here. We're continuing in our worship service today as we talk about Esther. She's an orphan, she's a queen, she's a heroine of the Old Testament, and just such a blessing as we go through and look at her life. And this is something that you can go a little deeper if you choose to do so from the Great Lives in God's Word series by Charles R. R. Swindoll or Chuck Swindoll. If you'd like to go through and read a little bit more and go a little deeper in any of these great lives from God's Word, uh, you can see Esther is the second one. David, Esther, Joseph, Moses, Elijah, Paul, Job. Then this is called uh, Fascinating Stories of Forgotten Lives, and then there is Jesus, the Ultimate Life. And I've read a lot of these, and they are, every single one, worth your time. And uh, what's great about them, honestly, is, is as he does his teaching in the book... It's just a way for you to learn, to look for a few little clues and dig a little deeper and just kind of ask yourself a few small questions that helps any time you read the Bible to be more meaningful and more powerful. Well, if you remember from last week, one of the main things about Esther that makes it a very unique book is, and this is our something to learn today, we learned it last week, we're going to revisit it this week, and that is of all the 66 books in the Bible, the book of Esther is the only one that does not expressly mention God's name in its pages. However, God's fingerprints are all over this story in everything and every event that is detailed in it. You can just see God's movement, His providence, is a word that often comes up when we talk about Esther. And so as we look at this, just understand it is a beautiful book. And I want to kind of make sure that you also grasp this. The timeline from the Old Testament is something that I've been sharing with you. And you can kind of just double check and look at this if you'd like. But as you look at this, this story of Esther happens approximately 475 B.C. It's probably after she's been reigning a few years. But um, Esther roughly happens towards the end of the Old Testament, even though in the Old Testament book's order, it begins with, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you know, all of these. Well, if you look closely, those are going from the books of the law to the books of history. Then it goes into Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Those are books of poetry. Song of Solomon is included. And then into books of prophecy. And so it's arranged topically, not chronologically. That's why Esther, even though it's towards the end of the Old Testament period, is actually kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. And so if you follow that and grasp that and understand it, it will help you as you read read through the different books of the Bible. Now, if you kind of have been following along or if you took my advice and I encourage you Go back and read the book of Esther because it is a powerful book. You'll get a lot. You'll learn a lot. And it will be, a, it's almost like a movie script, to be honest with you. As you read through it and go a little deeper beyond some of the, the, the scriptural type of language, it's something that you turn into a movie. It's just a great book. And so, as you kind of look at this book, it's kind of your way of being reminded that the book and the crown and all of the things that are going on for Esther, it is happening. And I don't know about you guys, but have you ever read a book, like a fiction book, and you're like, hold on just a second. Now, who is that? Have y'all ever done that before? Especially if you read a few chapters, and then you come back in the third or fourth chapter, it's been a few days, and you go back and you go, hold on, which person is that in this story? Because I haven't quite gotten them all down yet. Well, if that's the case for you, I just want you to keep them straight. Here's who we're talking about in Esther chapter one and Esther chapter two. Esther chapter 1 begins with Xerxes, the ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire, the most powerful empire in all the world at that time. And then it goes to Vashti, his queen, but she was deposed in Esther chapter 1. Do you all know what deposed means? She got the boot. That's right. She got kicked out. Because... She absolutely refused to do what the king said to do and embarrassed him. And all of his advisors said, well, don't let her embarrass you in front of all your friends. You ought to just write a law that says she can't ever come back into your presence again. And he goes, you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do. And so we wrote down the law. But do you guys remember what I shared with you last week? There's something special about the law of the Medes and the Persians. And that is, is that if you wrote the law, you could not repeal that law. You know, we, we had prohibition. And we repealed it, you know, as a thing that we had. And then we said, no, no, that's no longer the law of the land. In the Median and Persian Empire, if you wrote the law, and you were already considered a god, which is what they did with all of their kings, well, gods don't make mistakes. So the thing that you cannot do is repeal a law that they wrote. And so he wrote that Vashti, his wife, could not ever come back into his presence. And then later, he regretted it. And we're going to talk a little bit about what he does to overcome that regret here in just a little bit. And then you might have heard it mentioned, Mordecai, as Peter read, he was a Jew who was living in exile in Susa, the capital of the the Medo-Persian Empire, and he was raising an orphaned cousin. Now, you might not have grasped that or heard that, but that's what it means when it says she had no mother, she had no father. She had nobody to take care of her, and Mordecai steps in. We're going to talk about the hero of the story, Mordecai and Esther, next week as we talk about um, the Father's Day things that we're going to be mentioning. And then the fourth person is, of course, Esther herself. She's a beautiful young Jewish orphan who is pressed into a beauty pageant for the absolute highest stakes. She's going to be taken from the streets of Susa and brought into the presence of the king. And if she wins the beauty pageant, she literally will become the queen of all the land and one of the most powerful individuals in all the world. And so it's a really fascinating story how it all plays out. And I ain't going to lie. Spoiler alert, she wins the beauty pageant. How many of you already knew that, right? So she wins. We're going to see what God was doing. And last week's episode, just to make sure, Xerxes, the king of the Medo-Persian empire, threw a wild party. He demanded Queen Vashti come before his guests so he could show her off. But she refused. She was the original feminist, right? She said, nope, you're not going to tell me what to do. And his counselors encouraged him to write a law banning Vashti from his presence forever. Okay, so this is what is going on. And this is part of God's fingerprints in Esther. You can see it on this next slide. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Do you remember what he had decreed? She could never come into my presence ever again. And then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for a beautiful young virgin for the king. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes there are cameras taken in ancient, ancient history. And it took a picture of what Xerxes looked like in this. And I, let me just show that's exactly what Xerxes looked like. He was like, oh. And, you know, if you played the, the song that was played in the background, it goes, Oh, by myself. Y'all want me to do line two? All by self. Did you hear the vibrato there? Were y'all impressed, Spriga? Yeah. All right, so, I missed you, Vashti. What did I do? I've made a stupid law. Come back to me, but you can't come back to me because the law prohibits it and prevents it what in the world am I possibly going to do? And all of the attendants around him are like, man, dude is in a bad way. He's got problems. He looks like that puppy right there who looks like he's been, well, I'm not gonna say it. And some of you are even thinking to yourself, Randy, you are shameless. You're trying to get our emotions all whipped up by showing this delightful little puppy looking so sad and forlorn. And I will just simply tell you, You know me too well. It is true. I'm just trying to get you to pay attention. So here is what's going on. In this thing that we see, this is what's really going on. And we already dismissed the kids, so let's just be honest, okay? Here's what's going on. Most kings in the ancient world had wives, but they also had concubines. Do y'all know what a concubine is called in 2021? It's called a side chick. That's what it's called. Because here's... I'm sorry, can you not say side chick in church? I mean, what's, what's wrong with you guys? A wife was held in honor. She had a close relationship and she provided heirs. A lot of the time in the ancient world, they would say, hey, your country and my country, we're right on each other's border. And so if we're going to fight somebody, we're probably going to end up fighting each other. And so here's what we're going to do to make a truce. Your son is going to marry my daughter, and we're going to have this connection where we are going to learn to live with one another because we don't want to be fighting our neighbors constantly. You guys understand what's going on? So that's what's happening. That's what you did when you married a wife. But if you were the king, you also had other women. You had multiple wives, but you also had other women. And they were not there because they were the smartest or the most diplomatic or the most high born. They just happened to be real pretty and real nice to look at. And so you became a concubine. But see, the king didn't share his possessions. And unfortunately, back then... Whether they wanted to or not, there were a lot of women who were pressed into service, especially they'd go and find the beautiful women and say, you know what, congratulations, you just became a concubine of the king. Whether she wanted it or not, women often were pressed into that place, and she would occasionally see the king, spend a night with him. I don't need to go any deeper if you guys are with me, okay? And then the king would simply say, next. Now, I'm not telling you... Because I'm happy about this, ladies. Don't be looking at me right now with those judgmental eyes that you got going right now. I'm telling you how it was, not my idea. It's not my idea. Shelly, Shelly, please, baby, it's not my idea, okay? This is how it was in the ancient world. But let's be very clear. Why in the world would the king need someone else? He's already got concubines. He's probably got another wife or two. What's up with Vashti? Why does he look like that little sad puppy whenever he's thinking about Vashti? Can I just say something? Can I be like bone honest here? Because sometimes sex leaves you feeling more empty than when you began. And there is a difference between physical intimacy, the act of sex, versus just having somebody that you are close with. And intimacy is not just simply a physical thing. There is a spiritual connection. And truth be told, there are a whole lot of people in our world desperate for that thing that is a true intimacy, but the closest that they can find and the only path that they know how is to pursue physical intimacy. Now, let me just say something else. This is, I ain't trying to be crude or vulgar, but I want you to hear and understand that almost every single thing that God has created outside of human beings mate in a different way in human beings. We're one of the few creatures that God created that mate face to face. This is not me trying to get dirty. This is me trying to tell you that you were created for intimacy. And even a heathen king who had all of the women that he wanted and all the wives that he needed, all of that stuff still did not bring him satisfaction. Let me just say in our modern world, the truth is is that you've probably been told that this Physical intimacy brings you satisfaction, but I'm here to tell you it's a lie, and it will not. The only way to really experience true intimacy is with God involved in a relationship, and that is the only thing that truly satisfies. Now, I could get even more awkward and go on and on, but if I can get an amen, I can keep moving. Can I get an amen? So this is true. We know that Xerxes is looking for something more than a one-night good time. He's looking for somebody to be his soulmate. Probably Vashti was that, and he wrote her out. And now she's gone, and she can't be brought back. So his attendants say, he needs something. I got an idea. Let's do a beauty contest. We'll pull every young woman in, and we'll see that he chooses the one that he wants, and then he will have a new queen. All right, so very quickly, let me just say this. Uh, Let's go... Let's, let's go a little deeper. If you saw that passage of scripture at the beginning of Esther chapter 2, he says, at the end of these things, when the king was once again sad, if you don't look a little deeper into the timeline, you don't understand. But I'm, I've already talked a little bit about true intimacy. What happened between Vashti being disposed, deposed and Queen Esther being brought in as queen has actually been made into a movie. How many of you guys have ever, well, okay, no, don't, don't answer if you've ever seen 300, but this is, you've heard of the 300, this is Sparta, right? That that movie. None of y'all have seen that? None, okay, one or two of y'all are like, okay, Pastor Randy, it's pretty good. It's pretty good at imitation. And what's craziest about this picture is I literally... You know how much rain's been going on here in Houston. When I went and got the mail the other day, I was wearing the exact same outfit. I had my shield on, you know, and all that stuff just to make sure I didn't get too... All right. Just trying to see if y'all are awake. Do you remember the story? The 300, the guys from Sparta won. And who did they defeat? All of the armies and even Xerxes himself. Do you remember? The Xerxes that we're talking about in Esther is the same one who in 480 BC lost a huge excursion and campaign into Greece. And so he comes back to his capital city and he's looking around. And he's like, man, I, I guess maybe my world has fallen apart a little bit. Who can I turn to? And that's why he looks like that little puppy dog. He needs somebody who knows him somebody who cares about him more than just simply being the king. And that does not come in a one-night stand. It comes instead with the true intimacy. So he's looking around, and guess who God provides? Esther. And here is the big idea today that I want you guys to look at. And then, um, yeah, let's go back to... Yeah, let's go, let's go forward one slide. Here's the big idea God uses individual people to accomplish his purposes in the world. Now, let me just go a little deeper. A lot of the time we think that God uses these groups of people and these groups of people and this large group of people. Most of the time when God's at work, he raises up individuals to lead. He had 11 men that he left the kingdom of God with whenever Christ was, was crucified and then resurrected, he had 11 disciples and he left it in their hands and said, it's up to you guys. And he had one leader that he had appointed out of that, the man named Peter. And so if you go a little deeper, most of the time when God's at work, he's not calling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Do you remember the Old Testament story of Gideon where there were thousands who signed up and God said, there's too many. I'm going to send some of them home. And Gideon's like, what? We are already outnumbered in a big way. And God's like, no, 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 no. There's still too many. Send them home if they're scared. He sent them home if they were scared. And then he sent some more home. And then he sent some more home until they ended up with 300 led by one man. God is constantly calling individual people to get out there and partner with him to make a difference and an impact in human history. It is about to happen with a woman named Esther, and we're going to hear her story as we go over the next few weeks. So this is our big idea. I'm going to say it one more time, and then I'm going to ask you guys to say it aloud with me. God uses individual people to accomplish his purposes in the world. Would you guys say it out loud with me? Ready? One, two, three. God uses individual people to accomplish his purposes in the world. Now, how many of you in here are an individual? (laughs) I got news for you. Every single one of us is an individual. And every single one of you has the potential to be used of God to make a difference, whether that's in a small way or on a grand scale. God uses individuals. And so if you, as an individual, are waiting and wishing somebody would show up and let God use them in such a way that things begin to change in your world, in your life, in your family, in your community, in your sphere of influence, in the United States of America, why in the world are you waiting for somebody else, that other individual, when you already are an individual. And trust me when I tell you, Esther was not the likely heroine of the story. She was not on anybody's short list of how God was going to provide deliverance. Y'all keep coming, y'all keep coming along and finding this story. It's going to be so interesting. But let's talk about who Esther was, first of all. First of all, she was an orphan raised by her cousin Mordecai. You might have heard that when Peter read. And she was also a beautiful young woman. Let's look at what the scripture says very quickly. Our heroine was these things Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah who he was bringing up because she had neither father or mother. She was an orphan. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, or back in the ancient times, that was known as a star. Even in Spanish these days, if you name a young girl Estrella, that means a star, like the star in the sky. She had a lovely figure and she was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So we see that Esther is a beautiful person on the inside and out. Esther was an orphan, but she was being used of God. So let's go to this next. Exactly who was Esther? She was also a woman who was likely uninterested in being the winner of this contest at the start. She was probably compelled to be a part of this. Let's check this out very quickly. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Heggai. Esther was also taken to. You notice that I bolded that. He was taken to, she was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Heggai, who had charge of the harem. Chuck Swindoll in his book there, he writes that the word for taken to here is often used in other places in the Old Testament to indicate taken away by force. She was probably taken. Can I just tell you probably what happened? More than likely what happened is somebody saw her on the streets. Said, that girl is beautiful. Beautiful. She's got grace. She's got dignity. That girl is beautiful. And so they got her, and they brought her and said, congratulations, you're participating in a beauty contest. She's like, I don't want to go. He said, no, you're going. The king says so. So she was compelled to be involved in this. Then she probably didn't really want to. Well, let's go to this next slide. Our heroine, Esther, was all of these things. But she was a woman who was favored by everyone That she met now just stay right there for just a quick second number three and number four they go hand in hand and I'm gonna tell you there are some people it's not just women there are some people who think if I look good out here that's all that matters it doesn't matter what I got going on in here and the more and more and more our society becomes shallow And shallow and more and more shallow we've somehow decided that outer beauty is more important than anything else in our world it shocks me it's 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 neck and neck between somebody who's rich and somebody who's beautiful and if you can combine rich and beautiful it's the best well I'm here to tell you that Esther was beautiful but she did not act like she was the belle of the ball First of all, when the beauty pageant was announced, she didn't go, I'm winning that thing. I'm winning that thing. Nobody prettier than me. She didn't say that, but she did win it. And isn't it a beautiful thing when people who are beautiful on the outside have something beautiful going on on the inside? And isn't it rare? It's rare. Why? Because somehow in our world, if you're beautiful enough on the outside, you don't actually have to connect the character on the inside. And so I'm just going to tell you, some of you guys, man, encourage your children. You're going to be raising some beautiful kids, man. We've got beautiful, beautiful kids being raised in this church. Do yourself and them a favor. And if you see that this is beautiful, but there's some ugly characteristics in here, don't you dare rest Until you learn that they are just as beautiful on the inside as they are on the outside. Because how many of y'all know that beauty on the outside is going to eventually leave us? Can I get an amen on anybody over 45? I mean, come on now, right? It's gone eventually. Nothing beautiful about us folks who are getting older. Stuff sagging where it doesn't need to be sagging. And stuff bigger than it needs to be. And stuff smaller. Just You know. All right. You know. All of the things on the outside that have gotten you by will eventually go away. And the only thing that you will be left is character. And isn't it awesome that this woman, Esther, who was incredibly beautiful on the outside, was clearly just as beautiful on the inside. And everybody that she met loved her and wanted her to succeed. It's just cra- it's crazy. All right, well, let's keep going here very quickly. Let's go to this next slide. We talk about how Esther was favored by everyone. It says that she was pleased and won the favor of Haggai, who was in charge of the harem. Let's go to this next slide. And we see here, Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. This is a different person. And so each and every person that keeps coming in contact with her, they keep finding her to be their favorite. It's an amazing thing. All right. So exactly what do we learn? What do we learn? Let's just talk about this, some of the lessons that we take away. And then I want to tell you a couple of stories about some people who were a lot like Esther, who didn't have much going for them, and then suddenly God used them in amazing ways. All right, let's check this out. What do we learn? First of all, I'm going to talk to our men. I'm going to talk to our men. Men, y'all listen up. Ladies, plug your ears. Nothing to see here. Y'all check your Facebook page or something. I don't know what you're going to do. You know, however you want to spend your next few moments. Men, can I tell you something? Sometimes we do stupid stuff that we regret later. We got to be wise in how we act and who we listen to. Men, if you don't have people who are going to tell you when it's not convenient and you are doing the wrong thing, you are not surrounding yourselves with the right kind of people. Do you remember that puppy dog that was sitting there going, I wish Vashti was still around? You don't want to be that guy because you listen to your boys saying, hey, get her out of here. Show who the real man is. Man, sometimes we can hear that stuff in our ears and we're like, that sounds right. That sounds right. And then later, when the heat of the moment is gone, we've done something stupid that cannot be undone. Here in a minute, I'm going to call the ladies back. We don't want to tell them that we know this about ourselves, but let's keep this between ourselves. But men make sure you're careful of who you're listening to and make sure that you don't do something that's so far flying off the handle that you regret it later. You guys with me? Men, can I get a big, deep voice, big, hearty, amen. Can y'all give me an amen, men? I like it. All right. Hey, ladies, y'all come on back. Come on back. Men, y'all check your Facebook page for a second. Ladies, I want to talk to you. All right, let's go to this next one. Always value the correct things. Always value the correct things. Because this world will tell you what to value and how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to act and all that stuff. And this world will tell you what is beauty. But I'm here to tell you that there are women all throughout the scriptures Maybe pretty plain-looking women on the outside, but virtuous on the inside. Go back and read Proverbs 31, which I preached out of on Mother's Day. And ladies, can I just be honest with you? I was honest with the the guys who are away for a moment. Can I just be honest with you, ladies? It's harder and harder and harder as you get older and older and older to be the same kind of loving, kind, and gentle person. Because just like men do, you get jaded. You get frustrated. You let other things build up and you don't let them go and so instead of being a tender young woman that you used to be you can be a hard hardened person a hard-hearted person as you grow later in life and you don't want to be that person as you grow older you want to be growing in beauty inner beauty And that is not going to come on the outside. It's going to come on the inside, but it will not come at all if you let these things that bother you build up and pile up and you become hardened. And folks... I hope that you grasp and understand, ladies, that we want you to grow in beautiful uh, in the beauty on the inside and be a beautiful example of motherhood and grandmotherhood and those, those things kind of come to you. Don't become jaded or hard-hearted, and that's very, very hard to do. You guys understand what I'm saying? So watch that, and I'm going to call our men back, and they'll join us, okay? Okay, so girls' talk is over. Guys, talk is over. Let's talk for all of us for just a second. All right, everybody. Here's the third thing. What do we learn? Um, let's go to this next slide. Oh, yeah, this, this one. This one right here. We've all heard that God moves in mysterious ways, and it is true. But God also moves in mundane ways and on mundane days. That means that what was happening in Esther When she had her chance to be the woman who would be queen, she was already ready. When the door of opportunity opened, guess who was ready to step right into it? Because in obscurity, she had been developing the characteristics not of beauty on the outside, but of beauty and grace on the inside. Now, let me just go a little deeper very quickly if you were taken and you were already an orphan and you only knew one family and then you were pressed into service and you became a woman who unwittingly was being a part of a beauty pageant and judged strictly by your exterior how easy would it be for you to become incredibly bitter and frustrated and angry it would be so easy for that to happen and yet esther Every single person that she encountered, she encountered with grace. That's who she was. And so that brings us to this slide here on this next one. The king was more attracted than any of the other women. She won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her the queen instead of Ashtai. This is what it's telling us. This next slide shows us. What do we learn about Esther and what can we take away from ourselves? When you face a difficult circumstance you cannot change, react with grace. React with grace. So if you're dealing with stuff at at work that you can't change, that you can't fix, if your husband or your wife is a certain way and you can't change them no matter how much you beg them, no matter how much you ask them to be different, no matter how much you're enjoying, you know, please, I would enjoy it if we would do these, you know, make these changes and nobody's changing. Don't become bitter or hard-hearted, men or ladies. Instead, say, you know what? If I can't change it, I don't want to be one more miserable element in this miserable situation. You react with grace. Grace. And when she did, Esther won favor with everyone, everyone, everyone that came in contact with her. They were like, man, there's something different about that girl. And you can go back and listen to it. I won't go too far into it, but I want to remind you that the Bible did not say that Esther was the most beautiful woman that there was in that whole group. Josephus, the ancient historian, said there were 400 women. That's a pretty big Miss Universe pageant, and she won it. And she won it, but she did not win it because she was the most beautiful. If she was, the Bible would have said it. But instead, it said that the king favored her above anyone else. There was something different about Esther that didn't have just to do with her external beauty. That's why she's a heroine. Okay, so very quickly, here's a big question for you and for me as we bring this to a close. Are you growing towards being usable If God is working in you and through you, like we talked about last week, are you growing or are you groaning? (laughs) I tried to make it something that would kind of stick in your head. Are you growing or are you groaning? Because the truth of the matter is, is that when you and I, uh, we face something difficult, man, we're going to grow from it, or we're just going to sit there, deal with it, go through it, and then just groan and bellyache about it until the end of it, and it finally goes away. The truth of the matter is, is that you will learn from something or you will complain about something, but rarely can you do both at the same time. Now, I'm not here to go, this is great. Lost a job. Fantastic. No, that's silliness. That's that's craziness. I mean, unless you really, really, really hated that job, right? But here's the truth. For most of us, when these kinds of things happen, we don't say, okay, God, this is my chance to learn more of you. This is my chance to show that I depend on you like never before. This is my chance to cease to define myself by what I own and what I can purchase. And these things kind of begin to fall apart, and then the character emerges. But that's our opportunity. Or we can sit there and go, "Why does this have to happen to me? You know who really should have been fired is old Bob in accounting. I hate that guy. Everybody hates that guy. Why did I? Oh, and we never learn any lesson because we're so busy groaning instead. We can grow or we can groan, but we probably can't do both at the same time. So very quickly, here's how you apply this message. You apply by recommitting to consistent, steady, incremental growth with grace in your spiritual life, and your service. That means that whenever you're dealing with difficult things, you don't groan. Instead, you grow and you do so with grace towards everyone who is around. All right, so very quickly, I want to just talk about four individuals. And I'm just going to put up this slide, and I'm going to fill this in as we go. For some, it may be familiar, it may not. But here's what I wanted to prove to you. Individuals in our modern world and our ancient world and our middle ages kind of world who have made a huge impact on literally millions of lives. People who were very much like Esther. Not educated. Not from a privileged background. Not somebody who had every chance in life to do something great. But instead, very much like Esther, just simply was raised up by God to make an impact and a difference. Born Agnes, Gonshaw. Bowashu in Skopje, Macedonia. Her family was Albanian, and at age 12, she felt strongly the call of God. She knew she had to be a missionary to spread the love of Christ, and at age 18, she left her parents' home in Skopje and joined the Irish community of nuns with a mission in India. After training in Dublin, she sent to India in 1931, where she took her initial vows as a nun. And then from 1931 to 1948, this woman taught at St. Mary's High School in Calcutta, but the suffering and the poverty that she kept seeing out the walls of that school made such a deep impression on her that in 1948, she asked her superiors and said, can I stop teaching and just minister to those folks out there? They gave her permission and they said, but how will you pay for this? And she said, I have no idea, but God's Providence, this word that we've been talking about, God's providence will see me through. And with no funds, she started going to the slums of Calcutta Calcutta in India and serving the people who were being pushed to the side and not cared for anyone. You see, in India, there was no hospice care at that time, and there were literally people and children who were never being educated and never being ministered to as they died. But this young woman decided that would be her life's mission. She worked from 1948 until her death in 1997, but that was almost 20 years after she had already been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. She is not known today as Agnes Bowashu, but we know her as Mother Teresa. Over tens of thousands of people over the 50 plus years that she's served, she's literally influenced millions of people to go and do more than they thought they could in people's lives. Fluent in five languages, this woman had so much to say and so much to share, but this is an incredible statement. She said, by blood, I'm Albanian. By citizenship, I am Indian. By faith, I'm a Catholic nun. And as to my calling... I belong to the entire world, but as for my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's awesome. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, one person who made a huge difference in millions of lives. Johannes Gutenberg was born in the German city of Mainz, a young son of a local merchant. According to most accounts, his father was a goldsmith, but probably was more likely he just simply a cloth tradesman. He was born about 1400 in the ancient and and, uh, middle ages. He grew up knowing a few trades, including goldsmith, but the things that were going on in his life would not have pegged him as being somebody who was destined for greatness. As a matter of fact, he got involved with something that basically bankrupted him, and he had to leave and there was things going on in that time in Germany where he lived, and he was struggling just to simply make it and survive in, as the war was raging around him. In 1939, no, yeah, in 1939 he goes back to Gutenberg, there in that financial disaster. Ten years later, back to Mainz where he was born in 1448. And he took out a loan from his brother-in-law. And trust me, if you've got a brother-in-law, man, you don't want to take a loan from that guy, right? Amen? So quite possibly, this loan that he got from his brother-in-law was for the printing press that he had in his mind. He invented the printing press. And you might have already heard of the Gutenberg Bible. You all ever heard of the Gutenberg Bible? It was the first Bible that was given... To human history, and it was someone that basically made the printing press. And in the History Channel puts it this way on its website. In the fifteenth century, Gutenberg's innovation enabled people to share knowledge more quickly more widely and civilization never looked back this was the beginning of the age of enlightenment and the end of the dark ages as we have always referred to them and those things all came about because one one man learned how to develop a printing press and the gutenberg uh, printing press became just a touchstone one simple man born to nancy and thomas And living in a one-room log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, his family moved to southern Indiana in 1816. His former schooling was limited to three brief periods of local schools that he could not complete because he always had to be ending so he could go and work so the family could make ends meet. In 1830, his family moved to Macon County in southern Illinois, and he got a job on a riverboat hauling freight up and down the Mississippi River all the way down to New Orleans, he settled in the town of New Salem, Illinois, working as a shopkeeper and a postmaster, eventually becoming a politician, and one to the state legislature in 1834, teaching himself law, passing the bar exam in 1836 with no formal training. The following year, he, knew, he moved to the newly uh, minted state capitol in Springfield, Illinois. This man we eventually came to know as the 16th and best president of the United States that we've ever seen was the author of the Emancipation Proclamation which freed millions of enslaved people in the American South during the Civil War era. Abraham Lincoln one life that impacted millions. So here is what I have to ask of you today. I ask you one more time. It's individuals. God calls individuals. God uses individuals to make a difference in their world. We've just heard stories of three people not privileged by birth, not privileged in education, not privileged in resources, and Esther is that fourth person. But let me just say this. It could be you. It could be you, man or woman here hearing this, man or woman at home. It could be you. There's nothing in the world that's stopping you. Esther shows us, and these others as well, that one person can literally make an impact on millions of lives. But they didn't start with millions, they started with one. The problem is not that we don't think that we can make an impact, it's that we don't try. (laughs) We just go, somebody else is an individual, and they'll make an impact one day. But you... Once again, I tell you, you are an individual. And the God that used Esther, the God that used Abraham Lincoln or Mother Teresa or Johannes Gutenberg, he can use you as well. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to invent the printing press or be the president of the United States. I, I don't know what God has for you. But maybe your impact is is 10 or, or 50 or 100 or 200 or A 1,000 or 2,000 or 10,000, it does not matter. The problem for most of us is that we're just waiting for somebody else to make our world a better place, and it just keeps passing us by, and we are not growing, and we're not approaching our world in grace. But as we look at Esther, we're challenged once again to grow in the grace that God has given us and be a graceful presence in a world that desperately, desperately needs a new dose of grace from God's kingdom and his people. So how about you being the one? Nothing in the world stopping you at all. Heavenly Father, as we end our time together today, we ask that you would use your word and use the people from your word to be the example that encourage us to be the people you would have us to be. We love you, Lord, and ask that you would help us to see the life of Esther and understand and grasp that you used this Jewish girl, orphaned and in exile, to become one of the most powerful people on the planet. And in the process of it, you saved your people from certain and definite annihilation. You used her greatly. Dear God, use us. Not asking for you to use us in great ways. We don't have to be famous. We don't need to be somebody that people recognize. We just simply want to see differences happening in our world because God, you know, and God knows we need it. We need our world to be a different place, and we have already found the answer, and that is you. So draw us close and use us for your kingdom and for your purpose. May we do these things so that your glory might be seen. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for your time and for your attention. I appreciate you being here. Hey. I hope that you enjoyed last week uh, as we had a little something extra to leave you with. We're gonna do something very similar on July 4th. We'll have more details yet to come. And I hope and pray that you will be here and some of you at home that are watching live stream or later, we wanna see you here as well. We miss you guys and love you and anxious to see you guys once again. So thank you so much for your time and for your attention. We're gonna end the way that we always do. And I hope you guys will say it with me. We've just heard God's Word, so now let's go live it. God bless you. You're dismissed. Love you guys.